Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, this is Wade, maybe an unfamiliar voice after probably a month and a half. I think it's been a Wade-free month and a half. Uh, here, not in my office, and we'll get to why we're not in my office or in the uh, studio at the college, um, but off location, and we'll discuss that during the free-for-all. Some of my adventures, they've been quite interesting, um, as well as Mike's, who's also been up to quite a lot this summer. Um, but we are here recording today together for the first time in a long time, Mike and I, and we're going to be talking about uh, kind of a, a two-edged sword, the importance of, of reading and maybe we, uh, reading widely for the pastor, especially, but for lady too, but, but uh, maybe aiming especially at clergy. <clears throat> um, but then also on the flip side of that, the uh, importance of also knowing our limitations, knowing that we are not experts um, in a lot of the things that people may come to us for. Um, so the free-for-all, we're going to be talking about our summer so far, what we've been up to. Uh, I'm glad to be back on. Thankfully, Mike was able to um, make that work today. And then we'll be talking the importance of reading, reading widely, but also then uh, kind of knowing our limitations as Christians and then um, maybe some of us who are clergy as well. Um, it's been a while, but I know we should plug 1517. <clears throat> we are a member of the 1517 Podcasting Network if you haven't, you should go and check out their new website. They have done quite a job with a, a whole new redesign. And not just a redesign, but the, the way the web, website works now is entirely different, too. <clears throat> you can search kind of everything all at once. So let's say you're not um, looking for a specific article or piece, but you want to know what, what's out there on baptism. You can now go to 1517's website and just search baptism and it might pull you up a podcast, it might pull you up a blog post, it might pull you up an article that's been linked. Um, and it's going to be a great way to follow those resources. There will be trending stuff. So let's say there's an episode of one of the podcasts that comes out that's that's been doing really well, people have found interesting. <clears throat> You'll be able to see that stuff and, and maybe find resources a little bit more easily than you have before. Um, so I encourage you to go and check out that new website. <clears throat> um, the conference is still coming up. I have not checked with Caleb I know tickets were going quickly, but if you are interested in the Here We Still Stand conference, um, you can find that at the 1517 website, too, and check it out. Um, as always, there's there's good stuff going on over there. Uh, Dan Van Voorst's new podcast, The Christian History Almanac, is still going strong. I've enjoyed it. It's like a nice five-minute kind of get-you-started sort of thing with your day or to wrap down your day at the end of the day, so I encourage you to check that out. Um, Lest I go too long, I've got all kinds of pent-up energy. Mike, why don't you go ahead and give us our disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to have a free-for-all today. Uh, we're kind of towards getting towards the end of summer, um, and so uh, we're going to talk about our summers here, and uh, this is 
uh, the first time that I've been on this new location. This is Wade's new house, and so he'll tell you about how uh, his summer has been um, <clears throat> about moving into a new house. That's why you haven't heard his voice for a while. And uh, I came in, and I was wild. It's very nice. It's very. You, uh, it's a. Uh, it's this this uh, Detroit kid has made good for himself. Um, but it's also like walking into. It, it reminds me of when I was a pastor going to visit shut-ins. So there's wheelchairs around, and there's crutches, and there's pills. Is there and a general I'm, icy hot? Sound? Yeah, and I'm saying, um, can I help you with that? And uh, you know, look at my wound here. You know that kind of stuff. So uh, Wade, why don't you tell us why it it seems it seems like I've walked into an old person's home? Yeah, and I'll try not to make the story too long, but I've been able to tell it a lot lately. Uh, Trish and I had not necessarily been uh, looking to move, but we had. We've kind of been open to maybe a bigger house if it showed up. So uh, we had a colleague at the college who was also a realtor, and I had mentioned to him um, about kind of looking, and he had put us on his MLS listings or whatever you see. And it wasn't that long after, and we saw a house that came up that was three blocks from our house, so a big move. Uh, In our same neighborhood, we really didn't want to move out of our neighborhood. We love our neighborhood in Milwaukee. And uh, it worked out. And so we put an offer on that house, and uh, then the realtor said, well, you've got about five days to get your house ready to sell, and we hadn't been thinking about selling our house. So that became hectic, getting that house cleaned out, cleared out, ready for showings. Uh, Mike was kindly over there, uh, scrubbing in the basement, um, mopping with the the kids. And uh, we did it. We got it ready Um, that weekend. We had, I think, almost 40 showings. And got an offer on that house, and, and all was good. Uh, have had baseball, softball, like we do every summer, so stayed busy with that. And uh, thought, okay, though, we're, we're going all right. Um, closed on the new house. Everything was great. That was July 2nd. And started moving on the stuff that we had in the old house in here. We still have to get the stuff out of our storage container. But that's been a bit more of a challenge now. And I would say... It must have been the weekend after we closed. It would have been that Friday. Um, the softball organization I'm a president of hosts a tournament. And so I was going out to the truck um, to put the all the pitching rubber spikes in a, in a bag so they'd be together. <clears throat> and this house is built up a little bit. Mike, you probably noticed. So it has like a retaining wall around. And going down the back sta- patio, um, I was like opening the bag, you know, because... I figure I got steps down pretty well, and I missed a step or two, and my leg bent backwards, um, kind of like an X, you know, half of an X, and my kneecap came way out, and uh, it was an interesting feeling. I thought, that's that's not good. I, ne- I didn't shout. I didn't cry. I was kind of just like, that feels weird, right? And, uh, and then I got a little panicked, but um, I went to bend it back, and it kind of shot back all the way like it was on a bungee cord and hit my backside. <clears throat> And then I straightened it out with my hand, and I, I didn't have my phone with me, so I kind of hollered a bit, and thankfully Anna heard me and had Trisha come out. She, Anna said she thought maybe I was getting beat up, <laughs> and so she didn't want to go out. So I sent her mom, and I said, so you could have no parents. But um, So Trisha came out, and she managed to get me in the back of the minivan. The seats go down, and uh, like a trooper, she put up with me because I told her, don't let me try to walk because my leg's moving both ways because it <clears throat> could wobble. And they, or, or Trisha, that is, got me to, we went to Freighter by the college, because I, I know a lot of our nurses end up over there. And they said, yep, your kneecap is out. 
uh, quite a ways out, and the tendons ruptured. So Monday of last Monday, I had surgery, so they put the kneecap back I <clears throat> um, and repaired or um, I don't know what you call it, the ligament or tendon was ruptured, so they did whatever you do with that. And uh, so I've been in an immobilizer uh, since the emergency room, and now it's an immobilizer, but it's at least it's a more open brace, as Mike can see. It's a quite a nice nice brace. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I t- they had said you could take your ace bandage off after a week. Well, there's something under there that's, like, all glued down. So that's what I was showing Mike, and I put the <laughs> ace bandage back over it because uh, it looked kind of... It's gross. Yeah, it was kind of gross. And uh, so it could be laid up from driving for three months, yeah. hopefully less. Uh, was not able to help with the last part of the move. We had got a lot of the heavy stuff, but not all of it. Um, ben and uh, Peter came over one night and did a lot. Uh, Pastor Dave Brandt from Toma was in town and came and uh, helped. We had uh, other friends who uh, and family who came. The in-laws were great, but uh, Mike was gone, and he had done his duty cleaning, so it wasn't <laughs> like Mike told me to fend for myself. <laughs> I would have anyway. <laughs> yeah, but um, we uh, we thankfully have everything into the new house, except from the storage container, but that's not the end of the the world but uh it's been an interesting summer so i i uh i managed to run that tournament that weekend in my immobilizer and uh i don't know how alert i was for most of it but uh hadn't slept in about 48 50 something (laughs) hours and then uh missed one of anna's tournaments a hotel tournament i couldn't get to and then this one was in town we'll see what happens this weekend because Maggie and Trisha are going to be in Minnesota for nationals for softball. So, uh, and they're going to go see, I think, uh, the other U of M out there, not mm-hmm. the not the U of M. And uh, so it'll be me and uh, Anna and the boys. And now I have no vehicle, so we that'll be interesting <laughs> to see. I can't really Uber because, as Mike has noticed and pointed out, might be an issue with me flying in the near future here. Uh, I can't bend the legs. I can't bend the legs. So that's been your summer. So uh, that's terrible. Yeah. So. It, uh, but the the bright side has been uh, um, when we were in New York for Mockingbird last year, Mike had put on in the hotel. He's put on the show. He's like, oh, this is a good show. We should watch this show a bit. This, uh, what's it called? Live PD? Yeah. On A&E. And uh, so we got internet. When we got the internet, we got the bundle because it was cheaper and it's no contract, whatever. <clears throat> but uh, I was flipping through and I saw that. So now... Uh, I've got to watch a lot of that live PD that Mike got me watching. And then now the kids, too, like, they'll come down and be like, can you put on the, the police officer ones? So, it's a show that makes you feel better about yourself. And we've it's, learned a lot yes, about the law. Yes, yeah. Like, and you can't drive a go-kart 30 miles per hour down the sidewalk on meth. No, you're not allowed to do that. That's against the law, technically, yeah. And uh, it's it's just good to see other parts of the country, like Missouri yeah. and Ohio. I think and, they should just yeah. focus on Florida and Ohio. <laughs> yeah, Florida. Those are the best ones. Phoenix is pretty good, too. You know, that one, that, that's Kentucky nice. Kentucky sometimes it seems. Kentucky's very nice, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, my summer has been uh, running around uh, visiting places. We had a, a real nice uh, family reunion in this uh, kind of a resort in Missouri, which happened to be run by this guy. Wait, you went to Missouri and didn't end up on live PD? No, we didn't. Uh, oh, that would have been an opportunity. <laughs> um, I am a Missouri. I'm a Missouri-born kid. Um, and uh, this guy who runs it... Um, was a missionary in Russia. We didn't know this until we got there. He's given us a tour of the of the place, and we know I noticed that there was all these books in in Russian, and so I went over as he's talking about you know don't do this, don't you know, you know don't 
smoke in the house and all that, all those rules don't and stuff like that. Don't drive go-karts. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, those are Bibles. And he has spent his life kind of dedicated to a couple of things, but one of them is to translate uh, uh, the Bible into dialects that, you know, either the translation is not very good and old or it's, or it never has been translated into. And so, uh, God's word for the world or something like that. I've heard about them before. Hmm. It was just kind of unique that, that, uh, we ended up at this place. Like God's word for, for the nations? For the nations or for, there's two <laughs> ones for the nations and for the world. I oh, think, okay. his, I think his is for the nations. Okay. There's two out there. Uh, and, uh, one's a nonprofit out of Florida, I think. And this one's out of Rolla, Missouri. So a really interesting guy and just, uh, that was kind of cool. And then, uh, from Missouri, we, uh, went out East and saw, uh, uh, some historical things out there, Williamsburg, Jamestown, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. I wanted my kids to be able to see that before uh, we get to the point where they don't uh, hang out with us anymore. So Was that the first D.C. trip for all of them? For all of them. I had been there when I was a kid. Um, I, the only thing I remember about it, however, is that it was the day uh, Mike Tyson beat uh, Spinks. Nice, I remember that was a quick fight. I remember seeing the... the uh, at one of the newspaper stands, that was the headline. So, um, I, that was a long time ago, so I didn't remember much. So it was a lot of it was kind of new to me too. So you go on any of the tours of Capitol Hill or White House or you just, we went didn't, we didn't, we just kind of went and saw them. We only had about a day and a half, two days. And so we, we did a lot of walking and it's very hot. DC is a lot of walking. hot and humid there and stuff. And, um, my, uh, middle daughter, begged and begged and begged to get us one of those scooters like Lime or Lyft or the ones Bird, that Peter loves the ones that Peter loves a little libertarian I think scooters. they're also known as um, death traps I think they're what they're what they're also called and uh, finally at the end of uh, our time there I did get uh, two for them to go up and down the a very mm -hmm. safe sidewalk that was very wide so that they would not run into the street or run uh, into somebody did you see Milwaukee's so. getting those now they just officially yeah yeah um, bird I, or whatever I you know I will see what the death toll is. What was know, a how quickly? Was there a, a consensus family favorite of the trip of place that you went? You know, I don't think so. Um, I think probably most the uh, most of my girls enjoyed um, the uh, art museums in in Washington D.C. Probably, and my wife and I like that too. So, um, I think that probably was probably the most memorable. Um, but oh, did Philadelphia? Philadelphia was cool too. And that's and what so, I've always wanted to do that yep. I've never got to do yet. Yep, very How was nice. a general impression? Is it one nice area you can be around, and then the rest is uh, like we, industrial city, or is it? Uh, is there a fair amount to do that's not just American history? We didn't we didn't explore too much, but around the I mean, most of the historical sites are pretty centrally located, and uh, the the old town that's around there is touristy, but not too touristy. Right. I think they're, they have a nice balance of you're actually in the city and stuff like that. And we didn't go down by the river or um, into more of the downtown, you know, skyscraper kind of area. Didn't do Rocky. Uh, uh, we drove by it and I'm like, uh, Abigail, quick, take a picture of this as we're going 30 miles per hour around this, you know, roundabout. And um, Do they know what Rocky is? She's even? like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't care about this. But I said, take yeah. a picture anyway. So, um, it was not as prominent as I thought it would be. It was not, but anyway, so Philadelphia, cool town, uh, Washington, DC, it was good. So that's been, uh, my, and along with, uh, quite a bit of speaking, um, was in Minnesota and, uh, now going up to Northern Wisconsin for that. So it's been crazy and busy. Apologetics you're speaking on. Yeah. Apologetics. That's, you know, what everybody wants right now. Yeah. Uh, you so, know what I've been working on? Um, moving your knee. 
but mostly a live PD. Live PD. <laughs> Actually, I, I do have a. I found out my my new book should be out in August. Yeah, and uh, so I'll I had wait. a conference call on that, and Mike has the preface for that. And uh, I originally had a different title, but the title the publisher went with is the podcast title. Yeah, which we got approval from the guys for. So that and you sent me the cover. It's uh, really really nice. Yeah, I thought it looked nice. Very cool. I got to get some of the back cover material to them, but so that should be. Coming out August in time for the for the conference, so had a nice conference call with um, the fifteen seventeen people on that and promoting it. And then, uh, guess what? I've been rereading hmm. the. Uh, I'm about six hundred pages back through Infinite Jest by David Foster oh, there Wallace. There you go. So, nice. trusty old taped up copy. There you go. And uh, so that's been. I did read some Christ and Culture stuff that yeah. was okay, but. Didn't knock my socks off, yeah. but well. Speaking of uh, reading as a pastor, that's going to be our topic as we go forward. You see what I did there, by the way. That was very nice. So we'll be back in a minute to talk about uh, the importance of reading widely uh, for a Christian, but specifically for the pastor. Our main topic today is going to be reading widely, uh, uh, the benefits of that for the Christian, but also specifically for the pastor, and then kind of a subtopic. Um, sometimes pastors can um, think that they're uh, masters in things uh, when we're, they're really more um, uh, just kind of flirting around the, the corners there uh, of a certain topic. And so reading widely can help you say, oh, maybe I'm not so smart in this specific area. And so there's quite a few benefits of reading widely. And it's not just, oh, I know a whole lot of stuff and my sermons are going to be more interesting. So, um, and, and it's not being a bad pastor to recognize your limitations. Right. I think it actually um, helps us to serve better when we can say, I know especially at the college, for instance, when uh, counseling stuff or psych stuff will come up to go over and... Mm -hmm. And to talk to some of our professors in that field and, and recognize, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with people beyond just the spiritual that it's good to know when we can punt or work cooperatively. Absolutely. And I will get into that in a, in a little bit. Um, I know I've told the story before, this this phrase before, but I, looking back at my preaching as a... Just before you tell the story, Mike, I just want to interrupt us briefly. I just noticed you have a phenomenal shirt on. I do. I do. Um, you didn't get that when we were in San Diego, did you? No, it? I've had this for years. You stay classy. That's Ron Burgundy. Yeah. yeah, it is. I've had that. I've had that for years. I can remember. I should have used that to talk about the conference earlier. Yeah, I, I, um, I've had it long enough that Abigail, our oldest, could would say, uh, you know, when she was learning how to speak clearly and stuff, she would say, "You stay classy, Diego." She would <laughs> say that. So nice. I'm sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to make sure the compliment. <laughs> it is. It is one of my favorite shirts. Um, so I, I know I've said this before, but uh, when I look back at my preaching uh, 12 years in the parish, um, and when I would notice that I was in a rut or I was repeating myself or uh, just just wasn't holding the attention of the congregation as, as I would like, um, it was one of two things. One was 
I didn't do a really good text study. I didn't really mind the text. I didn't really get in, mind the text. I didn't really get into it as much as I, I should have, probably because I'm lazy um, or maybe busy. Um, but the other one, the other reason was I hadn't read something that had nothing to do with church recently. And it wasn't like, oh, then I just pick this uh, unique thing that I, I read in history and that was a good um, story or a good example uh, to use in a sermon. In fact, I rarely, if ever, did that. It was just you, you, you thought, you thought in a different way, and you connected things um, theologically with the the rest of of human existence, and that made me, I think, a better communicator. In fact, I would, I would say this. Um, you know, a, a lot of pastors kind of will get into a rut where they read one kind of thing. So they got a hobby, let's say it's like the civil war or they're into like the Lord of the Rings or whatever. And so, you know, every other sermon has an example from some great military battle or whatever, you know? Um, uh, I don't mean that. I don't mean that reading outside of theology, um, is to get these kind of pretty, let's say, lame um, examples to use in your, in your sermon. So it's not necessarily wrong, but let's just say if you're a Civil War buff, buff, limit yourself to one Civil War story per year. Or if you're into uh, sci-fi, you know, let's let's try to keep that down a little bit because not everybody is as enamored by that as as you are. Uh, what I mean by reading widely then is, have you read something on history? Have you read poetry? Have you read a novel? Have you read a a, a novel that's a, a classic and not just one that that just came off the um, the New York Times bestsellers list? Um, have you have you read something uh, about politics that's going on? Definitely not to rail on politics from the pulpit, but just to kind of get a sense of how people are thinking out there. Have you have you have you even, you know, watched a documentary? Have you, have you read something that is totally outside of your interest and outside of your normal way of thinking just to stretch your mind a bit? Um, not, not, not necessarily because you're going to find some great insight, but just the fact that you're going to think, you're going to think widely when you read widely. And I think that's very helpful when it comes to communication and maybe just one more rant and I'll let you talk. Um, we have, I, I think uh, recently um, in the, in the in the modern end of the modern period, maybe even throughout the modern period, have become very much about stuff instead of actually content. And so you can think of marketing is how do I communicate something to get somebody to buy my product or or, or buy into an experience, and the actual product is not really that important. Or I'm a uh, this pastor is a great communicator. He's a great preacher and he can hold your attention. Um, but he never said anything. Um, or this person's a really great teacher and can really get me excited about this subject, but never really delve deep into that subject. I think sometimes we can be about something instead of, uh, actually really getting into, uh, some of, uh, of the content. Um, I can think of how many speeches or classes or sermons where someone walks away and I've heard people say, wow, wasn't he or she a great speaker or a great communicator? And I said, and I wanted to say yes, but I wish they would have said something that was worthwhile to remember. I remember what they said because they had all that down, but 
there was there was no depth to it there was it was i remember what they said but it wasn't worth remembering and so uh reading widely i think really helps that helps the pastor say something profound and it helps the christian think clearly about a lot of issues yeah and i would just say one of the things that i think this makes it an interesting topic for me is uh that as i've been longer in the ministry and I'll say ministry in general because obviously my ministry has been very different for the f- past five years now out of the parish. <clears throat> but I would say lots remain similar in this regard. But uh, but especially early um, till now, I've noticed myself, um, I wouldn't say being less uh, confident because obviously our confidence in the ministry comes through the gospel, <clears throat> but less um, less. Uh, prone to want to jump into things right away um, or to think, okay, you know, I've got to fix this or figure this out. Um, From the standpoint of early on, you've just come out of seminary and you've had eight, um, in our system, maybe 12 years of of training and very specific training to come out and be the pastor or um, in in school to be the teacher, and I think this applies to our Lutheran teachers as well. <clears throat> and you want to be there, you want to be able to help everyone, you want to be able to fix things. And we do pr- do a pretty good job of having, you have a generalist education, you've been familiarized with a lot of things. But um, it uh, what compounds it is that, that you with the best of intentions you go in then, and you do have people who do come to you and want you to fix everything or be able to address everything because you are the pastor. <clears throat> and so you pretty quickly realize that there's a lot of stuff that people are coming to you with that has very clear spiritual dynamics, biblical dynamics. And uh, I, I'm sorry that I got a cough today, but I'm trying not to cough. But And those things can be addressed with law and gospel and with the scriptures. But oftentimes these things are wrapped up with so much more, right? Um, there can be cultural things. There can be psychological things, um, financial things, um, uh, interpersonal dynamics. Uh, a lot going on that we don't, we're not entirely equipped to deal with, with all of it. And it... Uh, we cannot want to have to like kick the can on some stuff or bring in more people. And I think especially in a time where we're not always trusting of all the resources that are out there for people. I mean, I'll be very honest that if I had a, a member who needed counseling beyond what I could offer, I would be concerned about who they're going to. You know, Do I want them to go to someone who is going to dismiss the sin thing that they're, to their credit, struggling with um, rather than address the, the component that I want you know, them to get help with. Um, and so this can become problematic. Um, the other thing is, as we come out, our experiences uh, culturally, socially, economically are very limited. Um, they just are what they are. Mike and I had different upbringings. We grew up in some similar places. He grew up in Detroit for a while. Um, some different but what our home was like was different. Um, when we think about the home, that's different between the two of us. When we're talking to someone who's coming about life in their home, then each of us is filtering that through different experiences, different experiences we had with our parents, 
um, different experiences we have with our spouses and, and children now. Um, uh, economically, we probably were about the same class-wise, but <clears throat> um, the uh, but um, there's a lot of that stuff in play. And, you know, they, they kind of say next to travel, reading is the next best thing for, for trying to learn another culture or, or how other people have life. <clears throat> um, and I think there's reasons books like, a, what was it, The Hillbilly Elegy and mm-hmm. um, Evicted, which we had for Campus Read. And these books can be such a draw because they're written in a way that can really bring you into what is life for someone else. And I think that can be a big challenge, too. And And something I see especially now in America um, is when we've, and I don't want to always be the guy who's saying polarized, but we have become quite polarized. And in many ways, the things that were meant to open us up more to other people have kind of closed in what we're actually experiencing. So um, like in reading for this Christ and culture stuff, we're gonna, of course, we're going to be doing a lot on tech. And <clears throat> you look at something like Facebook, and Facebook was meant to kind of expand your horizons, to stay in touch with friends, to find out um, what's going on. But what it really becomes is more of an echo chamber because the algorithm learns what you like and what you don't like, and that's the news you're going to get. That's the friend suggestions you're going to get. Your friends are sharing the same thing, kind of have the, the similar views. And uh, it can make it so that people are, sometimes people talk about, well, people get triggered so easy now. It can make it so that we are somewhat shocked when we encounter people who have a different experience or a different take on something. Um Think of Twitter and how people can react to something. And we don't stop to think, well, how did they get to there or where are they coming from? <clears throat> it just becomes, well, it almost gets tied into how we view them, um, their Christianity, right? Uh, and we've had the episode on can a Christian be a Democrat or stuff like that where we've talked about it. And so I think one of the things that makes it more important than ever for Christians in general, and I think this is for Christians in general, but especially for pastors, <clears throat> to be reading widely is to be able to serve the whole person well and to be able to serve their community well. Um, because, you know, community is a word we toss out a lot, and when we come out of some, we want to serve our community. But even our experience of our community, like our social media, I think becomes fairly limited. I realized pretty early on that as a pastor, I was not nearly as aware of as much of what was going on as my people were mm-hmm. because things were filtered before they got to me. Mm-hmm. I got what people were comfortable telling me, and people didn't want to often tell me the worst about themselves because <clears throat> they were embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, over time, I think that changed, and they realized that's who you go with that is mm-hmm. to pastor. <clears throat> but and, also, and you weren't necessarily judgmental <clears throat> in a bad way about those things. Right. Yeah. And But even in the community, too, and I lived in a community that was very supportive, and I was involved in sports, and um, and I had people who never had belonged to my church or, or joined it, but I was going to be the call if, <clears throat> if there was anything pastoral. And But even with that, you know, um, people would filter what they, there's a reason someone, now they get to know me better and they don't do it as much anymore, but <clears throat> if they accidentally let a cuss word slip, mm-hmm. they apologize, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, as if. Which, uh, my my reaction to that was always... Um, oh, it's okay. I'm Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I guess to recognize just how much of our um, our life is filtered um, as church members in general, often, but especially as as pastors or teachers. And I'll say this is true of teachers as well. Um, although teachers can end up way more on the front line sometimes, um, depending on the school they're in, 
um, and the culture of that school, you know, how open people are. But I think uh, this is where I found it extremely helpful is that building this Christ and culture course to be reading, reading, reading about all these things going on in our culture and, and across, you know, economic lines. <clears throat> economics for me has just become huge because I think we, we um, especially the former synodical conference churches, have white Midwestern middle class values. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. Those are my values. Mm-hmm. It's what I grew up with. Um, but we really, I think even when we think of poverty, like we often view it as well, those people kind of need to work harder and, or there's the American dream they can get out of it. <clears throat> we tend to realize how that can color an experience for someone and even in very cyclical ways. So that things that we that might even, <clears throat> to us, be big points of piety, um, maybe not biblical piety, but our, our, our own piety, um, well, you know, why don't they care about that? Well, they don't have time mm-hmm. to care about that or they've never been introduced to it. And I think uh, that can be very helpful for us knowing our limitations with, with stuff too. Um, and, and, you know, what my my limitations be if I don't understand someone's background? Well, it might mean I have to ask mm-hmm. or I have to look into it or I have to say what else might be contributing to how a person got here um, or what they're dealing with. But I also think hopefully it makes us more open to realizing how easily we can cause undue offense in how mm-hmm. we approach things um, and maybe avoid that too. Uh, you know, to realize why people might take issue with some of the things we say or how we present things where they're not taking issue with the the Bible. Sometimes we wear it as like a badge of like, see people are persecuting Christ. <clears throat> no, they don't understand why you're presenting things as as if as you are or as if there's no alternative to this thing that to the other person all they've ever understood is the alternative side and so i think that can be very important for us to understand as well um and uh and i think uh you know i think something our seminary's gotten a lot better at and i i really appreciate this is continued education and kind of hopefully drilling into people this isn't where your education ends, mm-hmm. right? This is preparing you to be a student your whole life. And I think that just becomes so important because if you come out and you're doing the ministry in 30 years that you're doing when you came out, you're missing a lot of people. Yeah, there's a great line from educators that they'll say, uh, you know, uh, instead of teaching fourth grade 30 years, you taught fourth grade 30 different times right yeah. i mean you were you were always changing everything uh, maybe one example of that is sometimes we can think about a third world country somewhere and and you can you look at at maybe this family and you know they they're they're they do not have the financial stability that uh, that is afforded to maybe a middle class person in america but they go way out of the way for like shoes or some kind of dress or some kind of where that that seems like such a waste of money to us well first of all you have to understand that those things are easy for us to attain but also you have to understand they may are living in a with a lot less hope economic hope than we do and so something to brighten their existence in their day that's a big deal and i wouldn't understand that unless someone told me that and they told and I found that out not because I read a textbook on how to not be um, a bigot, but I read a novel 
I read a newspaper article or whatever. So uh, I, uh, one point I'd like to make is, especially for the pastor, for every one book that's a how-to book, and, I, and, and not just a how-to-do-this in the uh, parish. And pastors can love these how-to oh, books. And, and these like, um, it's these are not bad things either because there's things I've tried to use, but like productivity things, like here's how to do this mm-hmm. because that gets into the mindset I mentioned earlier of this is how you fix things. Mm-hmm. And so I think I like where you're going with this. Yeah, definitely. There's there's quite a few, I think, uh, ramifications to this. Uh, uh one is what I mentioned before. You can you can know how to do everything, but unless you have some good content there, you, you're just wasting everybody's time. Um, the second thing is, and I don't just mean how-to books in the sense of here's the sticky church was, was a cool thing for a while. This is how you get people to uh, assimilate into your congregation. Fine. Um, but also like, okay, I need to learn about alcoholism because um, I just found out that I have a member who... Um, who who is an alcoholic. Yes, fine. But also read some, and this is where it's important to read uh, widely before this, read some novels where there's a character there that maybe is dealing with addiction. You may find out more about how to interact with somebody dealing with addiction from a novel than you do with a kind of a how-to book. Yeah. And those how-to books are going to be, here's the, here's the deal with it. I'm using this widely, this how-to kind of concept is those are academic things and they're necessary and they're, and they're valuable and we should read them. But you know, the next book is already being written that is going to uh, change that. It's going to question those theories. It's how science kind of works. It's how uh, academics kind of works. That if you're going to put out um, a thesis and eventually a book or a paper, it's, it's going to get challenged. It's going to, and you're going to challenge the next guy and that's fine. And you, you want to be careful not to be stuck into this one way of looking at it. But a novel, <laughs> you know, um, a, uh, uh, something that's a story um, has, has more lasting effect. It may not give you the answers. And this is to your point. It's not about fixing it necessarily, but how to minister to people and how to understand where they're coming from. Those novels tend to last. And so, um, when we look at, I just right now, I'm, I put, picked up, I don't know if it's Williston or Wilston uh, Walker, uh, a book on uh, church history that we had in the seminary. Oh, yeah, yeah. And nice book or whatever, but it's went through revisions and stuff like that, and, and we think differently, and, and so it, the, those concepts are going to be challenged, and, and it's good to read more, more books in history, and, and eventually that book is, you know, it's been in print for a very long time, and maybe it will last a long time, but it's not going to last forever. 300 years from now, if we're around, they're not going to be looking at, we're going to find more information. But Augustine's City of God right. is always going to be there, right? And so, and take, and Augustine's. Yeah. <laughs> and take that to every other discipline of psychology, of philosophy, uh, of whatever it's going to be. Um, th- those kinds of lasting things um, really will make you a, a, a better, I say, maybe say more well-rounded person and therefore uh, a better communicator and therefore a better pastor, a better and, friend as a Christian. And I, I like what you're getting at with that too, Mike, because <clears throat> what... Um, what what books like that do and I would say novels but I, I mean, even some of the stuff in the social sciences mm-hmm. are, <clears throat> what they're trying in philosophy what they're trying to get at that makes them more enduring even when some stuff later might be proven wrong 
is they're trying to get at what's the human experience, what's a human being. Um, they're not viewing the human being simply pragmatically uh, in a utilitarian fashion. Is like, how do I get the, the human being to be more productive? How do I get the human being to be happier? How do, but it's this is what the human experience is. Um, and this is why, you know, I know if Peter were here, he'd agree with me. Um, I think an author like Dostoevsky is just so phenomenal to read because that's what he's into. And the Brothers K is, um, you know, what is the human experience? And you look at a book like that and you can have, you know, um, a wide variety of people who will say, what got me thinking about this was Dostoevsky. And I mean, you get that with all kinds of people. Um, with other books as well is there's there's something about reading something that tries to immerse you in the human experience because then too it also makes you take off your lenses of categorizing people and whether you want to or not you start to see things through those characters um and that doesn't have to be fiction either that can be as you mentioned um there's lots of great journalism mm -hmm. that's immersive um and and I think that this can be extremely helpful um I don't. What I'm not saying is that a pastor should go read a, a psych textbook and then try to do counseling he's not been equipped to do. What I'm saying is that being well read will help you understand how complex a human being is, mm -hmm. and then serve them as best you can with what you are equipped to do. But then recognize where you can point them on other stuff. And I mean, we see this in the in the world in general. No one is an expert in everything, um, and. Sometimes the best person in their field at someone in for something is the one who knows the best people to refer someone to when something comes up, and uh, and I think that can be very helpful um, for both expanding our horizons and then also becoming more keenly aware of our limitations. I don't maybe it's apocryphal. I don't know if it's in Law and Gospel, but you know supposedly CF, uh, CFW Walther said when some students come in. The first year they know everything. The second year they know some things. The third year they know nothing. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of getting at that same thing of part of growing in knowledge is becoming, and I don't mean that in a uh, kind of nihilistic, kind of a relativistic mm -hmm. view of knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, what I mean is that the wonderful thing about knowledge is, is, is it's expansive. And as you learn more, you become aware of more of which you're unsure and, uh, you know, sometimes people, you know, if, if they would come to me and they've said, well, I've read the Bible a few times. So we'll read it before, read a page and then see if you think you need to turn the page. Mm -hmm. And what I meant by that is, well, get back in it and see, read a page, see if you remember everything or if anything new pops out and let it drive you back into reading it more. And I, and I think that can be the benefit of reading widely is that those limitations, they can actually excite us. They can actually lead us to want to learn and do more. Um, we get uh, a number of pastors, Micah, not like uh, not like uncountable, but a fair amount who have reached out and asked about, you know, they're interested in doing grad school. Mm -hmm. And I always think that's such an exciting thing to hear that from people because almost always they have something that they're interested in, right? Mm -hmm. That they, they, they on their own were researching something or they did a conference paper and then they got into this. And that thing, if they hadn't got into that, this new thing would never even have been on their horizon. And so by really focusing on something and learning it well, they realized their knowledge was limited on this this other thing. And I think that's where we can really benefit. It's also um, of, of reading widely. You mentioned newspapers. And I would just say 
Um, one of the things I've done in the last couple of years that I, I'm really glad I've done, and uh, it's nice because we get discounts being educators, um, subscribe to a variety of newspapers or periodicals. Um, I would suggest New York Times. The Atlantic, I think, is just phenomenal yeah. often. Um, I enjoy the New Yorker. Um, people like to bash the Washington Post, but I find the Washington Post helpful to read because it you kind of get a little bit more of what's going on uh, governmentally as well. Um, uh, Wall Street Journal. Um, and uh, be reading uh, a wide variety of, of news sources because that's also going to put things on your radar that maybe aren't there just as so far as what are issues for people. Um, why, what are different takes on things that were are, are out there? Because I think that also helps to keep us from, um, I get really nervous about, um, how prone we, we can become. Um, and this can be an episode in and of itself sometime, but how much of our Christianity isn't actually Christianity? Mm-hmm. Um, how much of how we see, well, this is what a Christian is, <clears throat> isn't necessarily biblical. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. A Christian can be these things. But in 2019 America, it's really easy to wrap all these things together, right? And if you want to test this, go to a church that leans Democrat or Republican and say something, um, you know, I'm not so sure about their policy on this. (laughs) And see the reaction you get. And you almost, if you get a knee-jerk kind of, you have to see things as a totality reaction. This is where... um, being well-read on a variety of periodicals can be very good, too. And I know people will say, well, there's fake news or whatever. A, there's not nearly as much fake news in those things as people might like to think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sometimes interpretation or editorial comments that are... But uh, there's no such thing as completely objective journalism, and there never has been. Newspapers did not begin as clear, as objective and unbiased. They began usually in affiliation with some movement or party. Um, This is why most towns, big towns, you know, Detroit had the free press and the news. Two competing newspapers. Yeah. And uh, and so you've never had this glory day of what you had was maybe, you know, three networks with news anchors, and they seem to be biased and objective. But that's because they were the only three giving the news. What we have today is more voices, right? But, um, you know, don't, I would say not to freak out on either side of this fake news thing right away. Read, and then you'll be able to discern better. I get really nervous when I see, you know, um, very well-educated people sometimes sharing things. It's, you know, it's like the the daily thinker. I just made that up. Maybe that really is a thing. But, you know, and they share it like this is, you know, necessarily a credible source. And, and, and you don't know. Well, you get to that by, by reading widely, too. And you might think, well, what does that have to do with me serving people? It has a ton to do with, with who you serve people because you how you filter things, how you react to people, and who you serve is going to be extremely colored by, um, you know, what you've experienced. And uh, there's a reason when we send uh, missionaries somewhere that we immerse them in the language and the culture before we have them doing, like, the serious missionary work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like we just drop them there and say, <clears throat> convert them all. Um, and I think we... We need to do that in our own communities, in our own uh, um, land as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and, and you talk about j- journalism uh, too. Um, a lot of these journalists will have written pretty decent sized books and they're, uh, 
you know, I can think of Jonathan Haidt, uh, Colin Woodard, uh, David Brooks. Um, these are popular books, and so they're not. Haidt is so good. Yeah, he's just good. And and you're not going to agree with everything, obviously. Um, but there's going to be some insight there and how somebody else thinks, first of all. And you may say, I would have attacked that in a different way, or um, I'm not sure about that conclusion. And, and those journalists, uh, the ones I, I met, Stephen Prothero, Prothero or, that we, we've yep. talked about too, I think is another one where, um, yeah, they have a leaning. How can you not, right? But they don't have an agenda necessarily. It, the problem is, when or you if they feel, do, sometimes they're honest about yeah, it, and they'll say, "Yeah." And 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 that's where it becomes. This person clearly has an agenda. This person's clearly trying to make a point, trying to make a splash, trying to freak people out. That stuff, yeah, it's not worth your time. Um, but uh, uh, those longer articles, so not the USA Today, but some longer articles that you can get, especially online, with you said like New York Times and. Uh, the Atlantic and others that that I think is important as well. Just long form journalism yep. is just to make yourself have to sit down and read an extended thing mm-hmm. is a healthy uh, healthy venture. And it's enjoyable when you get into some of these stories, right? It's very enjoyable whether you agree or not with uh, with uh, with uh, the writer's uh, point of view, um, and that's just so darn important. And it's huge for evangelism too of course so that you're not just freaking out like you don't see people as the other but you can kind of say yeah i can see where you're coming from um but i've thought about this a little bit what about this what do you you think from a different point of view about this and um you know just finished up a paper on on apologetics and and i didn't make a big point of this i should have um but a lot of apologetics is uh, i'm not talking about academic apologetics like here's a debate between some you know Hitchens versus whatever. I'm talking about just talking to a normal person who doesn't have your worldview. Um, can you talk to them and say, have you thought about it this way? Have you thought about it this way? These are conversations that you have. Um, and and I think pastors out there, if you don't already know this, let me tell you that your group is not, your parish is not as monolithic as you think it is. Um, there's probably some people out there who have kept their uh, opinions and voices quiet because they maybe are intimidated. And if you want to know why we lose youth, yeah. um, the youth are not necessarily going to be coming out of whatever they're coming out of with just an accepting of every one line answer we give. And nor should they, nor should they. Right. There is a healthy skepticism that we should all have about everything. Um, and so uh, again, reading widely is such a huge deal. And so I, I've said this when people have asked for, for similar advice to say, for every how-to book, you better have written, I want to say 50, but I say at least 10 books. <laughs> have read, you said read. Yeah, have, or have read, excuse me. Have read 10 books on something completely, you know, I'm not even talking about your theology. That should be a, a mainstay. But for every how-to book, there should be 10 books on that have nothing to do with a specific problem that needs a specific solution right here and right now, but just for the fact of reading. Um, and it helps all of it. It helps all of it. And in and, and, in ways that you cannot pinpoint, it will help your preaching. I can't give you one example where I say, okay, that novel helped me with this text and this sermon or this class, but it will. Yeah. It will in ways that you can't really explain. And I'll, I'll say too, you know, going to a, one of the things that in my congregation I served when I was in grad school was just phenomenal to me. And um, I know your experience was the same. Uh, we were both assigned to congregations that... Uh, treated us way better than we ever deserved. Ever deserved yep. And, uh, <clears throat> but, um, 
I had a lot of people who commented after I went back to grad school that both my preaching and Bible classes um, got a lot better, and they weren't saying necessarily they were terrible before. I don't think, but um, and I had I had you know f- friends in the ministry who thought going to grad school, oh, you're just going to be with a bunch of liberals mm-hmm. and you're going to get persecuted for being mm-hmm. a Christian, whatever. I can say I never had anything said to me that wasn't the same kind of joke I would have made back to someone else mm-hmm. <clears throat> from my perspective. Um, in grad school, um, but I did have a lot of very helpful and healthy conversations with people who didn't agree with me or didn't understand my position and just wanted to know about it. And that, um, did get me excited to get in the pulpit or to get behind the lectern in Bible class to be able to talk about things in a richer, in a more full way of like, look, here's something someone might bring up about Christianity. Here's why they might not understand it. Here's some really bad answers we've given to people. <laughs> yeah. And 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 here's how maybe we have to look at addressing right. this. And uh, both in the States and in the Netherlands, never once had a, a hostile, um, you know, situation. I had, um, in the Netherlands, at Erasmus, there's people throughout Europe, and many of them, for them, you know, a Lutheran is what? Yeah. Especially an American Lutheran. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I had a, a, um, a professor who I got along with very well, but he was a um, Unitarian. He called himself a Unitarian. He's a Holocaust scholar. So, um, but uh, he said it was you know Unitarianism for Jews who didn't want to have to keep all the laws. <laughs> but um, he, uh, you know, he would sometimes joke, and and I would joke back. Well, I remember in one class, and this was a seminar class. We all knew each other, and he kind of was talking about. He had a friend who was dying, and so he kind of put me on a spot, not in a rude way of like, but, you know, what would you say to him, Wade? And so I said, well, if you want my pastor answer, I can give my pastor answer, but I'm not giving an academic <laughs> grad school answer. And he said, that's fine. And I gave my answer, and then, um, you know, uh, uh, somehow it came up, and something came up. What was that? And he said, well, how would you know if it worked? And I said, well... Um, I guess I'd see her in heaven. And he said, well, what if she's not there? And I said, well, then I guess you'll know it didn't work. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he laughed right. and the class laughed right. and, and you know, it, it, it went fine. And, and I ended up out of that. I'm still in contact with a lot of people who I can reach out to and say, Hey, I know you have a different take on this. And on this thing here, that's yeah. in popular discourse right now. Yeah. Can you tell me, you know, why you're at where you're at on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's extremely helpful to me because sometimes it helps me see my blind spots. Maybe I end up going, I should be a little bit more mm-hmm. over this way on that because of this. <clears throat> but it's also helpful because it leads me to say, how can I better address that then if I'm dealing with someone who also is in that spot? And then sometimes it's stuff where I go, you know what? That doesn't have anything to do with biblical Christianity and before I thought it did. <clears throat> This person arrived at a perfectly ra- rational position that doesn't undermine any biblical principles, mm-hmm. um, and I shouldn't have been associating that with yeah. my Christianity. Right. I think that's a huge deal, too, is we often, uh, as you said before, think of something that comes from our political perspective, our own cultural uh, situation, and we've equated that with Christianity. And uh, one I kind of like to rail on is the Protestant work ethic, right? Yep. And uh, it's... Uh, Boy, that's 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 not there, especially when you contrast that with a Lutheran view of vocation. Uh, there's actually some 
some bad stuff in that. And uh, I know that's probably our experience in the Midwest where you work hard, you get rewarded, you're, you're, you're being bad if you're not being productive and stuff like that. Okay. However, and I can, I could, I can cherry pick a couple passages um, right. from both the New Testament and the Psalms about that. However, um, if you're, you know, we've said before, if the value of your work is, is production or your, you know, virtue for the sake of virtue, you're missing something. And we can, we can say that when it comes to charity, right? You know, so a, a conservative church is going to say, um, you know, here's, here's the way to do economics. And a liberal church is going to say, you haven't said one thing about charity, yeah. you know? Um, and that can go too far, obviously into a social gospel, but that's a, that's kind of a low rent example of what we're talking about here. And, and there's plenty of examples, um, that we could, that we could, uh, tout out that would, or bring out that would, uh, hit this home that yeah. you got, you just got to see the other uh, viewpoint. And it's so much better to have read and thought this through when you reach that person, instead of when you reach that person and you just shut down either. And then you're, then you're backed into a corner and then you become that kind of fake confident where you're like, thus saith yeah. the Lord. And you're like, I'm not quite sure that Jesus would, um, you know, sign his name to what and you we've just all said. Done, well, I can't speak for you. I don't know how many times in my ministry that I reacted with that fake confidence mm-hmm. precisely because I wasn't all that confident mm-hmm. in what yeah. I was doing. You know, And the irony too is that when you have, have read widely, talked to people and stuff like that, and you know your limitations, you know you're not an expert in this, you know that there's some gray area, you know you have more to learn, you actually end up being more confident yep. in the way you speak and the way you communicate because not everything's hanging on this one phrase, this one way of thinking that you that you thought was absolutely certain and true. Uh, you actually, that's the irony of it all, that the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And that makes you less confident, and yet in your communication and pastoral care, you actually become more confident. Yeah, and I don't know what we're at for time. I can't see Mike, and you might notice I'm in a wheelchair, so so I can't get over there to see. But um, I will just say two things as my final thoughts is I think that the two big benefits, as I've mentioned, of of reading widely, helping us to know both our limitations but also expanding our horizons um, is I think first it makes us better listeners, it makes us more thoughtful and empathetic. And so we're we're able to, I remember the temptation early on, as soon as I thought I had something to say, I would want to answer it to that person and show how helpful I could be. And 10 years in, I spent a lot more time just listening before I said something. So I think it can make us better listeners because reading widely is is listening, right? It's learning to put yourself in another's shoes. And then I think, secondly, it makes us less reactive and more responsive. We're able to um, come less from a point of defense or of um, uncomfortability and able to be more about um, dealing with the neighbor that we're dealing with. And so I would say that's the two great benefits, and and not only for pastors or teachers, um, but for Christians in general, and all of this applies to Christians in general. Um, That would be my my big encouragement for trying to read widely. And that's not saying, just to be clear, because there's always someone who'll take something and run with it. We're not saying don't read your Bible or don't read your Lutheran confessions. Read your Bible. Read your Lutheran confessions, especially be in the catechisms. Um, but most of us have time to do some other reading as well. Um, and uh, 
I mean, I know live PD is good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we're not saying not to read your Bible in the confessions. You have to be grounded or else you do no good at all. Um, but that'd be the two big benefits. Um, we we become better listeners and less reactive and more responsive. And then I'll let you wrap it up. Mike. Yeah. So maybe some simple advice going forward is uh, what I did. And I haven't been able to do this right now because I'm just trying to stay one day ahead of the students as my first year, first three, four years going forward here at the, at the college. Um, but hoping to get back into this where I kind of put categories together. So I had my, my readings, like you had said, uh, uh, biblical readings and confession readings, try to work your way through that on a regular basis. But then, okay, here's my categories, history, biography, novel, poetry. I never really got around to as much as I should have. Um, you know, as your daily journalism kind of a weekly journalism, look at a few articles, you don't have to read them all. And then uh, a book that I kind of, my last catch all uh, category was culture, but it could be kind of a, a journalistic, uh, deep dive into, into something, uh, the authors that we mentioned before would fit into this category and just rotate, just rotate, say, and you could add science in there. Um, you could add, uh, any category you want and say, you know what this month, or if, or if you're super busy and, and not much of a, of a reader this summer, I'm going to read something on history. Next summer, I'm going to read a biography. The next summer, it's going to be a novel. The next summer, and for for the pastor to kind of have that rotation, I think would be very helpful. And and and, and so and along, just my yeah. last thing here, I I was always very leery of audiobooks. I thought like, oh, that's cheating. <laughs> but I will say, uh, Roar Erickson um, was always talking about how he's listening to the audiobooks when he's going on his hikes, and you know he goes looking for rocks and stuff, and I don't know what all he does in the wilderness, but um. But, um, and you don't have to use Audacity, but the, you can get like Libby, I think it's called, or through your library's audiobooks too. And I have really benefited from, I almost now, there's certain books that I want to listen to the audiobook instead of read because I know it'll be more immersive. I would highly recommend, if you're not a reader, if you have a hard time just sitting down with, um, with a, you know, a Kindle or with a, um, physical book, um, Think about audiobooks too, but sorry, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I and mean, we're all driving somewhere. We're, we all have to mow the lawn. We all have to, you know, there's plenty of space. And that's what's great for, for podcasts as well. And, and you know, podcasts are kind of, I always wonder, like, when does that become like, okay, we're over podcasts now as a culture, and they don't become, like, everybody was about blogs for a while, and I don't look at blogs The New Yorker often. just I had an article about that the other day, and I was like, oh, man, we're the new blog. <laughs> we're <laughs> and, done, Mike. And so if you're used to this podcast uh, listening to podcasts, whatever they are, and there's a lot of great ones out there, and you're like, okay, I'm kind of over with it. Hey, I try try uh, uh, mix it up a little bit and put an audio book in there. So, yeah, I think it's very helpful uh, to be to sort of discipline yourself as a pastor without being too, uh, you know, legalistic on yourself, if I can use that term, is just say, you know, I'm going to rotate here, you know. And uh, I had a shelf where, because I buy books faster than I can read them, um, I had a shelf of I had a one shelf that was reread because <laughs> uh, that was really good or I didn't fully understand it. But then I had shelves where here's here's the next book. Here's the next book. And, and uh, I would stare at it when I you know was trying to write a sermon and go someday, someday. And that got me excited. And eventually you'd pick it up. And sometimes it'd 
be disappointed, but a lot of times it would be, that was great. And, and you got a sermon illustration probably unexpected sometimes. There you go. That's exactly right. So um, we're hoping uh, that this uh, little episode will encourage uh, the Christian and specifically the pastor and the teacher too, to, to read widely um, just for your own benefit and enjoyment, but also uh, for your communication skills, your confidence in sharing the gospel, um, some humility there, and uh, just, just, so that you can better minister uh, God's people. So until next time, Wade, what should they do? Um, Whether you're able to walk around or not, um, whether you're immobile or you can go wherever you want at a moment's notice, you don't have to be um, out of a wheelchair or a walker to let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a jank. I set him up, another round. I set him up, another round. I set him up, another round. One more round won't get me down. I don't care what